Welcome to the Binge Breakers Podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder, and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Disclaimer. This recording is not intended to be utilized as medical advice or a medical diagnosis. If you think you're in need of medical attention or treatment, please seek it immediately. This recording will also contain sensitive subjects such as binging and purging, weight and depression. Please listen at your own discretion and do what you think is best for you. Oh, no, my that's um, RD is like registered dietitian. It's Nicole Cruz. <laughs> you're good. Makes so much more sense. You know, sometimes Instagram handles, you'll see them and it just... You just read it and you don't, I'm one of those people that, you know, when they give you the jokes of, um, you say the words or text that is supposed to say something else. I would feel that every single time. Right. Yeah. No worries. It's so funny too. We actually at dinner last night, my kids play baseball and, um, my husband was like, you guys have a great last name. You should know people use that all the time because they'll cheer. Like they'll be like cruiser, cruiser, cruising around the bases mm-hmm. and like all these funny, like cruiser things. And so we were just, so the fact that you were like, is it cruiser? And I was like, oh, that's what my kids go by though. Like cruiser. <laughs> yeah. And that is a more fun name. That's certain names they can, you think other people are like, oh, that's perfect for that. But you actually hate it. So you hear it all the time. Right. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> anyway. Well, anyway, people listening, this is Nicole Cruz. She's a registered dietitian. I have been following her Instagram for a little while. And the reason I really loved her is because she focuses particularly on intuitive eating for children, which I think is a topic that eludes so many of us. And there's a lot of Instagram pages and help out there on how to be an intuitive eater yourself. But then when it comes to raising your kids, especially if you struggle with food, it's a whole new ballpark. And again, I'm not a parent. I'm just a dog mom, but I can't imagine what it'd be like to have this child you're responsible for and you know all this nutritional information and be able to guide them to eating in a way that serves them, but not being too much and not being too little. So I think your Instagram shows how to do that beautifully. Oh, thank you. And yeah, I agree. I mean, even, you know, myself, I have my own history of my eating disorder and going through recovery and feeling really comfortable and confident with food and then having kids and feeling like, I don't know what I'm doing and how do I do this? And having old stuff come back up around, you know, trusting them and helping them eat in the best way possible. Um, So yeah, I think we can really learn to apply a lot of these principles for ourselves and then it can feel confusing and challenging to figure out how do we best support our children with it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a whole separate. I mean, being a parent, you have to be their guide in a lot of ways, but it's it's definitely about balance and not being so restricted that you feel like, um, what's the right word for it? I don't know, just this, I keep wanting to say dominator, but that's not the right word, but this tyrant, there we go, tyrant, who's just like controlling you all the time. Yeah. Well, and I wanted to ask, my first question for you was, you know, how did you get into this path of being a registered dietitian and helping with intuitive eating? You said you went through your own eating disorder. Yeah, I found myself struggling with food and uh, like in high school a lot. And I I grew up in a household that really had, um, no rules specifically with food. Like it was very open, lots of foods included, but I had, you know, a mom who dieted nonstop. And so I just had that really shown to me my entire childhood of, you know, measuring her body and just, you know, trying to do 
all the different diets at the time, the cabbage soup diet and the, you know, eating special K and all the things. And so I watched that. And then when I found myself unhappy with my body, it seemed really easy to just do that. You know, let's try dieting. And so I found myself struggling with binge eating and dieting behaviors. And then when I went away to college, it really, uh, you know, intensified. And so I ended up leaving school and getting some treatment and pursuing that. And I had gone to school as a science major. And so when I was doing my own recovery, nutrition just felt like it was still along the path of I really enjoying the sciences yet at the same time, being able to support people with their recovery, the same way that my therapist and dietitian helped me. And so that's really what I knew I wanted to do was become a dietitian and help people, uh, with their own eating disorders. And that's what I did, um, for years. And I still do, I still treat teens and adults and work with individuals on healing their own relationship with food. And as I had children, I just found myself becoming more and more passionate about, in some ways, what I see as prevention. You know, I was hearing things from my friends or at the preschool class. They're thinking, oh my gosh, this is the same type of thing I hear from my teenagers and adults, the way that the parents were talking to their children about needing to eat more or not being allowed to have the extra pizza unless they had their vegetables or these mm. different things that I could just see were putting food on different playing fields and creating judgment and not allowing them to fully listen to their body. And that's when I became really passionate about shifting the way that we, we raise our children to think about food and, and to be with food. Yeah. It's so cool that you were able to apply your entire career to what you went through. And then also when the kids came about having this whole new challenge of, of how do I help them? And then again, reaching out and helping people. And I like what you said about prevention because you don't have to be struggling miserably to take your advice and apply it and do it at, from an early age. So it's almost like you're creating this new generation bit by bit that doesn't struggle with food nearly as much. And what you're saying about your mom, I really relate my um, mother. I remember going to Weight Watchers uh, meetings with her. Not for me, she was going for herself and she was just watching me and, and uh, thinking about it now, it just breaks my heart, all the things that they're doing and they're victims of their upbringing and generation. And it's just, it's just heartbreaking. So it's really good what you're doing there. What's the worst thing you've heard unintentionally a parent say to their child with good intentions? Oh gosh, the worst thing. Um, which is what comes to mind. I know, right. I, there's a lot mm -hmm. of things. I mean, I'll hear things like, I remember a dad and class told me, he said, um, oh, if sh she can have two pieces of pizza, but if she wants any more than that, she's cut off. And I was just like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like these small little pieces of pizza, like she's cut off. And um, I've heard a lot. I, I had a parent also tell me when I was talking about how we can create guilt and shame around food. And again, unintentionally, these are not like Mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> mean-spirited parents, they want the best for their child, right? They want them to be happy and healthy mm -hmm. and to feel good in their body. And she said, well, the truth is though, I kind of do want them to feel guilty about eating sweets or something. So maybe they don't eat as much. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, I, I see where you're going with that. Like I can understand mm -hmm. the intention behind it. Like 
we don't want them to quote unquote overeat or something, you know, that's what our, our culture tells us about sugar and sweets. So, and, and that's how our culture kind of tells us to, to change ourselves, right? Like feel bad about your body, everything's Fear, wrong with guilt, it, make shame. a change, right? Yeah. All mm -hmm. of it is built into that. So it makes sense when parents say things like that, but that really hit me like, oh my gosh, no child should ever feel bad about what they're going to eat or wanting to enjoy a piece of candy or a cookie or something, you know? So yeah, I, I hear a lot of different things, but those are the first kind of couple that come to mind. Yeah. Thank you for that. It's with the guilt one in particular, we kind of want to make them feel guilty. Like you said, it's well-intentioned. They're trying to help them, but they're thinking the only way for them to stop that behavior or, or to have a healthy relationship with it is if they can just feel incredibly guilty and that will stop. And I'm sure you can explain it better, but generally that leads to binging and weird foods with, with sugar and the scarcity and kind of feeling awful and then repeating the cycle. Absolutely. And I know Jacqueline, you, you know, work with a lot of individuals healing their own relationship with food that probably do exhibit those behaviors. And mm -hmm. I see it in really young children also, you know, in oh. four-year-olds or five-year-olds that have this, you know, no sugar at home or are constantly told like, you can only have one, too much sugar is bad for you. Any of that, that we see binge like behaviors, you know, at the party, sneaking a lot of food, trying to get as much as they possibly can. I have a, a family friend who said that when the neighborhood kids come over, he has to put some food away because oh. those kids never so get it in their home. But when they go to his house, he finds the wrappers everywhere. It's like they sneak into their pantry and just take their food, you know? And so he's yeah. had to kind of navigate these other kids around it. And so, yeah, it tends to create a sense of deprivation, which then actually leads to what I call reactive eating, you know, eating in mm. reaction to that deprivation. And so, you know, some people would say, oh, it's overeating or it's eating too much of it or, but it's really, it's just eating in reaction to the deprivation and often eating more than we normally would have because we're not tuned into our cues. We're reacting to these external limits that are being placed around us. Yeah. No, thank you for explaining that. And also you've got to imagine kids, their brains aren't fully develop, developed whatsoever. Can you imagine going through that type of deprivation or feeling like sugar's bad, all that sort of stuff, and then being exposed to it. You just, because as an adult, you can kind of think a little bit more rationally, obviously that's a separate issue, but you know, there's still drives that you have. But as a little kid, you're just like, I want to eat it all. And you don't really think about it. It's just something that you want. And so you do it. Yeah. There's very little to no impulse control with young children, yeah. which is just developmentally appropriate. Mm -hmm. And children are naturally very intuitive with food when there is a variety of food available to them. But if they've been deprived of it, then that impulse control, right? They're just going to reach out and react and eat as much as they can of the things that they're normally not allowed to have instead of tuning into those intuitive cues that would say, I'm full, I don't want any more, right? Because it's being driven from the fear of, I'm not going to get this again. I'm not allowed to have it, eat as much as possible right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you said something interesting there too, like food, children will be more intuitive when they have a variety of foods available to them. I saw on your Instagram something where you said, instead of getting them to eat more vegetables, offer them to um, offer them a variety of foods instead. 
why would, do you know why that would make them more intuitive or how that would work? Well, I think what we're talking about when we talk about having that food available to them is that children are not necessarily going to think through things. They're not going to go and prepare food themselves, right? And so when we talk about making it available, we're saying as adults, we can help them we can support them by having those foods more readily available for them. Like if my kid wants a snack, they would really easily just grab a packaged something, right? Like a packaged granola bar or something because it's easy, it's convenient, and it's comfortable. Mm -hmm. They know they like it. You know, they're not sure if the blueberries are going to be you know, a little bit sour this time or a little mushy or whatever it is. So kids gravitate towards what's easy, convenient, comfortable. In that way. And so if we can make a variety of foods available so that we are offering all those different food groups, then they're much more likely to be able to access them and choose from them more easily mm -hmm. than them having to go. And, you know, my kid's probably never going to go or rarely cut up an apple and some cheese or something. But if I put it out, yeah. then they see it and they're like, oh, maybe that looks good. You know, then mm -hmm. maybe they want it because it's out for them. Yeah. Accessible, easy, convenient. And that's how adults are too. I mean, if it's in your house, it's much, obviously you go through the work of making it, but if it's convenient to you, you're more likely to eat it because that's just, it's path of least resistance. That makes a lot of sense. I know though some people listening and I kind of felt like this too, for a long time when it comes to sugar, or having those foods available that maybe in excess could be more harmful or damaging to your health. How do you navigate that relationship with kids? Because I feel like a lot of people think they're just going to continue eating it forever. Yeah. And I think, you know, we do know that eating anything in excess isn't going to be helpful, likely, right? So eating an <laughs> overabundance of sugar with a lack of other nutrients, probably not helpful in the same way that only eating vegetables and a lack of other nutrients also isn't going to be helpful, mm -hmm. right? You're not going to get I like the thinking fat. about how if you drink too much water, that's that's bad for you, right? If you overdrink water, it's not good. Any of these things can be, right? And we often want to label and blame something like sugar, but the truth is anything can be too much if we go um, too far with it. And so what I always go back to is then the best thing, if we don't want our kids to eat sugar out of balance, let's say, the best thing then is to help them moderate it, which is to help them have a healthy relationship around it. And that comes from having access to sugar. So it doesn't feel like the forbidden fruit along with, again, a variety of other foods. If we're only, you know, making sugar accessible all the time, then of course they're going to eat an overabundance of it. But if we are sprinkling candy, cookies, sweets in throughout the day, throughout the week with other foods, then they're not feeling deprived of it. And they know it's coming again later. It's coming again tomorrow. This is not off limits. I don't have to eat it all right now because I'm going to get it again and again. And that's what I see so often with the families that I work with, that once they start to ease up on it a little bit, and this doesn't always happen instantly. So I want to give that disclaimer that if you're starting to do that, if your child has been very deprived of it, they might kind of swing the other way on the pendulum, just like we often do with adults too, is that when something's been 
limited and restricted, then we tend to only want that food once we give ourselves permission. So sometimes that happens with kids too. But the biggest thing that they'll start to see what I'll get messages about is, I can't believe it. We had cookies with dinner and they left half of it on the plate or, you know, something like that. So they start to trust I'm allowed to have this. I'm going to get it again. This isn't my one and only chance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what you're saying is exactly the same principles you should use with adults, which is so funny. And with kids, you think it's going to be different or whatever, but then in the intuitive eating book, I mean, they talk about how give yourself time. Just because you say it's suddenly available, you have to actually build that trust over time that you know, it's going to be available. And they, they use the example of a little kid and their parents suddenly being like, you can have this, but before for a long time, their parents yelled at them for having this. They're not going to suddenly believe you. They're going to be like, are you sure? And test it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I tell parents a lot. They say like, when is this going to stop? I'm like, they're still testing you. They're trying to see like, is this true? Is it true mm-hmm. that I'm going to keep getting access to this food? Is it true that I'm actually allowed to have it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes, and like you said, it, it takes time, um, but it will eventually go, get better. Um, when it comes to like, because I was thinking about this the other day, if they want to have ice cream before dinner, let's say they want to have ice cream for dinner, how would you navigate that sort of situation? So with kids, it's a, it is a little bit different in the sense that you know, the model that I follow, the core tenets of it anyways, um, is the division of responsibility by Ellen Satter, who is a registered dietitian and licensed clinical social worker. And she uses this approach. She came up with it called the division of responsibility, where parents are in charge of the what, when, and where of food and kids are in charge of eating what they want and how much they want from what is provided. So with that said, as the adult, you are in charge of deciding is ice cream available before dinner or not? Is ice cream Hmm. part of dinner or not? Like you get to decide those things. And this is a really, you know, simplistic version of this, but there's a lot of things that go into those decisions, right? As adults, we want to be noticing what foods do our children like? I'm going to provide those foods. I'm not just going to be like you were saying before, right? A tyrant, a dictator of some sort and Mm -hmm. just say, too bad. This is what we're having. Doesn't matter. No, you're still making those choices to best support your child. Again, when we are talking about, they're not likely to get the apple and cheese or something. They need support from adults to get Mm -hmm. that variety. So that's why we're in charge of those things, but we're responsive to what our children's like. And we can think through the day, right? We can think through the schedule. If I offer ice cream right before dinner, is that going to be helpful for them to then explore new foods at dinner, right? Like probably not, but I can serve ice cream with dinner and I can serve it actually at the same time as the rest of the food and allow Mm -hmm. them to have access to all of those things. And then they get to decide. And if that night they choose to only eat ice cream, I'm going to trust that. And I'm going to, you know, let that be because Mm -hmm. I set up this structure and now I'm allowing them to choose from that. But I'm likely not going to serve ice cream just right before dinner and they can have an endless amount and then they get to dinner and now I've made this whole meal, they're full and they don't want to even try anything new or explore, um, you know, other options. Yeah. Thank you for explaining that, especially the what, when, where, and how, and the division of responsibility, very 
clear explanation for that. And I think it describes how to be a parent beautifully, um, even though I'm not one. It's kind of like you're responsible for these things for them. You kind of give them the resources. You take their their needs and their wants into consideration, and then you do your best to offer that to them. And then they, but then they get to choose from what you offer, what to pick. They still have their own autonomy, which is helpful. And that's really the key to it is I often get parents that'll say, well, this isn't working. They're not yet eating more vegetables or they're not yet doing this. They say, I get that, but this is the long game. What we're really doing here is we are giving them autonomy over their own body. This isn't about your kid just automatically starting to eat more vegetables or not eat as much sugar. This is so much bigger than that. It's about instilling trust and connection with them. It's about their autonomy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Food, it can be so easy to think of it as surface level and think of maybe the health consequences they're going to get, or even those, obviously, if you continue to do certain things, there are going to be health consequences long-term, but most of them aren't going to be immediate. It's not like if your child keeps eating that way, it's going to lead to disaster right away. So they they have time. And yeah, like you said, it's about developing trust with themselves in their own body and getting to know them and that it affects you for a long time. So building that work as a child, letting them have their own choices, vital to the development, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're essentially telling them, right? Like I trust you with food. You can trust mm-hmm. yourself with food. Like you can listen to your body, you know, and we're giving them this ability to tune in and to eat the amounts they want from what we mm-hmm. provide, as opposed to I know better than you. You need to eat the two more bites because I say so, or in order to earn your dessert or whatever it might be. So we're really building that trust as a foundation for them. Yeah. And if you're being like that kind of being like, no, 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 I know better. It's almost making them, it's not just so much about, it is about trust, but also it's internalizing beliefs of, I don't know what to do. I'm not able to make decisions for myself. I'm unintelligent or insecure about those things goes deeper than that and like stems and what I find with food and people that struggle with food is a lot of the behaviors they translate to other areas of your life so the way the way I behaved with food for a long time was the same way I behaved with money and it's just crazy that they it's like finding little behaviors here and there and it's all the same from the foundation um which is insane so the food work you're doing with kids it goes much deeper than just whether they're eating blueberries or not Yeah, absolutely. It's exactly what you were just describing, right? It's trust in the feeding relationship between parent and child, but that then instills the trust in them. Like you were just saying to say like, I can make these decisions for myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What else can I do? Right. Um, with firstly, this is an off topic kind of question, but it's still related. You said something earlier about how blueberries can sometimes be tart, sometimes be mushy or whatever. Can you explain why that would be kind of alarming to a child or why they might not like that sort of thing? Yeah. I mean, some kids are just naturally adventurous eaters. They don't care that much. They're just like, mm-hmm. right, give me the thing. And, and and I'll have parents come and say, well, you know, so-and-so's kid will eat the salmon and the Brussels sprouts and the whatever, you know, they just that's what they do. But then you have another family that's maybe eaten like that all the time and their kid will never touch it. So it doesn't mean you did something right or wrong because your kid will or won't. Of course, there are things we can do to support our children with getting more variety, but some kids are just naturally adventurous. Others 
Not at all. And a lot of kids aren't in, in humans in general, we're not either, right? Like we want comfort. We seek mm-hmm. out comfort yes. again and again and again. What's, what do I know? I go towards that. I gravitate towards the things that I already know, you know? And so kids are even more so like that. So when we think about packaged foods, a goldfish cracker is always going to be exactly the same, right? It's Mm -hmm. always going to be the same shape, the same color, the same flavor, the same texture, everything about it's going to be the same. You know what to predict. That That is likely going to feel a lot safer to a child than a blueberry or a strawberry or a piece of broccoli where the flavor can be different. The texture can be different. And that can feel a little bit scary or overwhelming to not know what to expect. And if you have a child that has more, is more sensitive to sensory changes, it's Mm -hmm. even more important, you know, so even more so, but all children to some degree tend to be like that. And, and I don't know about you, but I work with even some teenagers and adults that, that struggle more with um, ARFID or like what we consider to be extreme picky eating. And -hmm. it's actually now an eating disorder called ARFID. Um, And they will actually be able to verbalize that to me. Like, I don't know because that blueberry might be sour. Like that is so scary to them to think about what's going to happen if it doesn't taste the way I want it to. What if I don't like it? Mm-hmm. And so this is a, a teenager, an adult that can articulate that children probably won't, but that's yeah. what often is going through, right? Just, I know what this thing is. I'm comfortable with it. Just let me have that. Mm-hmm. No, thank you for explaining that. Cause I heard you talking about the other day on your Instagram and it's, it's when I was growing up, I didn't have much sympathy for picky eaters. I was not a picky eater. And uh, there was, we'd be going traveling with these other families and there was one person that would always just have chicken nuggets and French fries, no matter we went to these like Indian restaurants with all these cool foods and Mexican restaurants, lots of different stuff. And just chicken nuggets and French fries. And I always was like, what is wrong with you? You know, um, but that was an adult's much more empathy for a lot of things that you just explained and you articulated it beautifully that it's unpredictable, it's unknown and it's scary, especially for people that have sensory um, more sensitive to things like that is going to be more extreme for them. And I think as we keep evolving as human beings, we're going to find out more and more about why people differ in that way. But, um, it just shows that when you're, I feel like people get really frustrated when the kids only want to have those things. Just like I was, I was frustrated with other kids as a kid. So I can't imagine what parents go through and understanding that. Um, but when it comes to like, I guess it would just be go back to if you want them to try to eat more of those things, just having them readily available. And then is there a way to build comfort with eating things like blueberries? Yeah. And it really depends on the level that we're at. So I, I want to preface this by saying, if you have concerns about your child, because they are literally only eating a handful of foods and Mm -hmm. you feel like you're down this rabbit hole of really extreme again, picky eating for lack of a better term, we like to say more, you know, selective eating as opposed to picky eating. They're more selective with their food choices, but people usually know what I mean when I say picky. So if you have a child that, that is really down that rabbit hole of only a few foods, absolutely get a second opinion, seek out support. Don't just feel like it's necessarily going to get better because it might not. And you might need more support navigating that, figuring out 
are there feeding challenges going on here in terms of swallowing issues, texture issues, you know, mm-hmm. is it, it what developmentally might be happening here that you could use some support with? So I want to say that. Um, with that said, it's also very normal, like we were just describing, for children to seek out what's comfortable and to not necessarily want to eat a w- wide variety of foods. So I often ask parents to kind of take a bit of an inventory and see, are you getting at least a few foods from all of the different food groups? Like, will they eat a couple kinds of fruit, a couple kinds of vegetable? Maybe they won't touch any vegetables, but they'll eat a good amount of different fruits. You know, like if we have mm-hmm. some protein, some of these different foods in here, we're probably okay. But if it's concerning to you, absolutely seek out help. Mm-hmm. To, to, to better assess and see if you need some more support. Um, with that said, what we want to do though, is continue down the same path of exposure, exposure, exposure. And so like you were just saying, some kids, they only want say the chicken nuggets and fries. What we don't want to do as adults is say, that's all they'll eat. So that's all I'm going to give them and nothing else. And so we start making them separate meals all the time. Okay, here's your mm-hmm. chicken nuggets and fries. We're eating this over here. And it becomes the separate thing where they're not actually exposed and given the opportunity to try new foods. What we want to do is make sure that there is a safe food on the table. So maybe one night it is chicken nuggets that's out on the table, but they also have access to everything else we're eating. Maybe there's pasta and there's broccoli and there's some fruit or some bread. So that those chicken nuggets are just part of the meal as opposed to this is your separate plate. And this is what we're eating over here. So they're getting exposed to it. They're seeing it. They're essentially being told like all of this food is available to you, right? If Mm -hmm. we give them a separate meal, what we're kind of telling our kid is you won't like this. So Mm -hmm. here's your meal. So we're just ingraining in them. You won't like these foods. Here's your separate meal. But if we can just make it a part of the meal, we're saying, hey, this is available for everyone. Would you like some? Mm-hmm. We're continually giving that exposure and teaching them, you might like this one day too. So exposure is the ultimate key. And we can be, you know, more um, creative in ways that we do that, like getting your kid to just help in the kitchen can be a great, great um, tool, even if they're not going to eat it. But if they can help you cut something up, if they can put it in a blender, if they could throw it in the pan, if they could help you set the table and be around it, because some kids are quite extreme in the sense that they don't even want that food near them. So if you Mm. can just get them to carry a bowl to the table, right? It's like these small little things that can be helpful. And this is the long game. Like you were saying before, you know, it's, it's not just a quick fix. It's not just about getting them to eat the vegetables or not eat too much sugar or whatever. It's the long game. And so it's these little step-by-step pieces that we're trying to do to get them that exposure, to get them more comfortable with food. In my family, sometimes we'll do things like taste tests. Um, I have three kids and so it can be fun and it's not a forced thing. There's never pressure or force that you have to eat anything or that you have to participate, but it can be fun where we'll put out maybe a vegetable cooked in, or I should say like in two or three different States, you know, maybe it's roasted, maybe it's sauteed in the pan and maybe it's raw. And it's like, Mm, oh, does anybody want to try it in all the different ways? Or maybe it's sauces. Sometimes I've done this before where I pull out a bunch of different condiments from the fridge. I'm like, does anybody want to try their, you know, broccoli? 
in a different sauce. Maybe it's barbecue sauce or maybe it's ketchup or whatever. It might even be things that we wouldn't think really sound good, but Mm -hmm. kids are excited because it's a fun thing to do. And they don't have these preconceived ideas necessarily about what is supposed to go together or not. So Mm -hmm. we want to open that up too, so that they can start linking these foods. Oh, I like ketchup on French fries. Maybe I would like ketchup on a carrot stick. Who cares, Mm -hmm. right? If we're getting them comfortable and more exposed to trying new foods. So there's lots of ways we can get more creative with that. But the key is exposure to build up their comfort level to think maybe eventually I might like this one day too. Yeah. No, thank you for giving that those practical examples too. Cause people, they hear exposure, but then they're like, they just <laughs> shove the food in the kid's face. And it's like, what does that even mean? So I like the idea of taste tests, making it fun and also having them help in the kitchen. I can just see how that can make you immediately more comfortable, more curious to try it. I mean, when I'm cooking things, it's like, Oh, I wonder what this tastes like. You naturally want to taste the food. So for a kid, not only are you getting more responsibility, it's interactive, it's entertaining, but just being around it, that's more exposure and more temptation, shall we say, to try it eventually. And I, I like that um, what you said also about how don't just give them their separate meals. I have seen kids like that where their parents, like they give them their separate meal. Um, when I was growing up, that happened for, with a few of my friends and they seemed totally fine with it. But I was like, what, what is this? I'm fortunate. My parents, we always ate together and my mom was considerate of what I would want to eat, but, um, she never made separate meals for us. And I'm grateful for that now. Um, I have two more questions. One was, um, if people are struggling with disordered eating or just, you know, their own relationship with food, how do you, it's a kind of a broad question, but how do you think they should navigate that with their kids? Um, I think the first thing is always get support for yourself. You know, it's like the cliche about putting on your oxygen mask first, right? But it's true. Do your own work around it. And that will naturally trickle into the way that you're feeding your child. When you can release the judgment about food, when you can release the judgment about yourself for what you eat, all of those things are naturally just going to carry over into the way you're feeding your child. So that's really the biggest part is to get support for yourself. Mm -hmm. I know that doesn't happen overnight. So it, it is these other little things, right? If you can have a framework like the division of responsibility that you're using, then you can consistently go back to that and just know what is my role in this? You know, what Mm -hmm. is my role in this feeding relationship? And that can be really helpful when you're navigating that to know like, okay, this makes me maybe watching your child eat another cookie makes you really uncomfortable or, you know, not eat any of their vegetables makes you really uncomfortable. But when you know that this is the framework that you're following, my role is to just provide the food and let them, we constantly can go back to that and Mm -hmm. just try to trust in the framework, even though it makes us uncomfortable. Another thing I really recommend is when you notice that you're having those feelings come up in yourself is that you really just see them kind of like we do with ourselves when it comes to food and feeding ourselves is um, like this feeling makes me uncomfortable. And instead of just shutting it down or reacting to it, how can you pause and just ask, right? What about this is making me uncomfortable? 
-hmm. take a breath, right? And just recognize like, oh, I'm getting uncomfortable because I don't think they should eat any more cookies. Like, but instead of just shutting them down and saying, you've had enough, you're done. Okay, how can I just get back in touch with me? What's coming up for me right now Mm -hmm. before I just get reactive to it? Um, so I think it's really about us recognizing our own discomfort with food and the things that are coming up with us. Again, going back to doing our own work on a really practical, practical level, I would just suggest not talking about food with any judgment, no good food, bad food, healthy, unhealthy, no pressure or force to have to eat certain foods. Food is just food. And so really releasing all of that judgment in the way you talk about it and not talking about your body essentially at all in front of your children. It's not that at some point you can't talk about food or body, but if you're not in a place to be able to navigate that in a positive way, then you probably just want to drop it from the conversation for right now. Mm, That's smart. Smart advice. Like if you, because so many times parents they feel pressure to immediately do those things, talk about it, be that perfect parent. And it's okay just to, if you can't handle it the right way necessarily, sounds kind of bad, but maybe just omit that for the time being. So it's not causing harm because you'd be unintentionally doing things. Um, also with the, like, if you notice your child eating too many cookies, they've had I don't know, six cookies or something. I don't know what's an absurd amount of people, but they've had too many cookies. I love that you said, hey, notice what's going on with you, what's coming up for you first. Because a lot of times emotions, they're from the thoughts that are going on in your head, the belief systems you have. There's some reason that it makes you uncomfortable. It's not just a natural thing. And noticing and getting curious about it, instead of shaming yourself for feeling that way, instead of snapping at them, it's going to help you much more. So that was really good advice as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And last question, where can people find you at? Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, you find me a couple places. One is my Instagram is Nicole Cruz RD. And I also have a private Facebook group called Joyful Eating for Your Family. It's free private Facebook group. It's a big community. And I go in there and answer questions and do some Facebook lives and chat and things too. Um, So those are two big places. And then I also do offer programs and courses and other, you know, one-to-one services and things too. So you can find all of that on my website at NicoleCruzRD.com. Yeah, simple. Um, I like your Instagram a lot. I usually look at your reels and stuff and I find it informative, even if you don't have kids, it's the advice you're giving is really helpful for adults too. So highly for those of you guys listening, highly recommend checking her out. And if you have parents, obviously, or if you have kids, obviously check her out too. Thank you. I do get, I, I didn't realize this at first, um, but I do get a lot of people that will tell me like, I don't have kids, but this helps me so much in reparenting myself and the way that I'm thinking about food and the things I wish mm-hmm. people had said to me, you know, growing up with food. So yeah, I think it can be a useful tool just to start shifting the own language that we even use with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, sometimes when I'm going through with people how to talk to yourself in those moments, I often ask them, like, what would if you were trying to parent a child, what would you say to them? And you wouldn't say, no, you can't have that cookie. You'd be like, well, what else can we have? That sort of stuff. You'd be more gentle. And so that makes sense why people would say reparenting themselves. So good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Likewise. All right. Bye everyone listening. I'm home and I'm